everybody. Welcome to another Making a Geek. Uh, I am Damien DiCarlo. I am joined with Emily Turner. Hi. Hi. She is my co-host today as we are about to introduce an amazing set of guests, uh, huge influences in the geek world. Their credits include over 700 produced credits, a number one hit, and an Emmy nomination. Uh, but mostly they are known for the insanely popular show, X-Men the Animated Series. Eric and Julia Leewald, welcome. Oh, hello, hello, hello. It's a treat to be here. Yeah, thanks, Damien. Good to see you again. I love this. How are you guys? Everything doing good? A little, little overwarm. It's Southern, <laughs> Southern California. Yeah. So, just a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's it hasn't been a bad year. It's just we're having our eight days of 105 here to remind us how you know the planet's going. But right. that aside, no, all all's good. All's all's real good. Good. You guys look good. Um, definitely, I've talked with you guys regards to X-Men. I'm glad that we're talking yet again. Uh, plenty to talk about. We also have a bit of information and just discussion regards to X-Men 97. Um, but before we get into that, I'll just get into the original show. So uh, this was debuted in 1992, October, if I'm correct. Yes. October 31st, October 31st Halloween night. Halloween. And I was I was there. I was I saw it in the premiere. I was a little kid, and I loved it. Uh, I'll never forget that date. <laughs> I was convinced it was going to tank because it's Halloween night. What kid is going to be home? But somehow the timing was most young people had gone out, gotten their candy, came back home, were pawing through it, and then X Men came on. So somehow, it worked. The, the great good fortune it worked. That's great. And I remember uh, the, the first couple episodes were hard hitting. Um, but before we do that, I'd like to get into a little bit about your book, um, Making the Animated Series and the Art. Um, Eric and Julia, I, I, I believe the intro of the book, look how beautiful it looks. It's right there in front of us. Um, I, I remember your, uh, I want to say, Eric, it was you that wrote your first couple calls from the executives or to the executives, I can't remember how which order it went, um, into pre-production for X-Men. Go into a little bit about that. What was it like in the beginning to get this started? Well, uh, <laughs> it was it was a bit of a it was a it was a rush, bit of a chaotic rush. Scramble, basically. Uh, that Margaret Lesh, who we owe all this to, had been wanting to do this for 10 years and couldn't get anyone in Hollywood interested but she'd finally become president of Fox Kids and worked herself up to the place where she could just say, this is going on the air. And then she had to figure out how to, you know, who was gonna run it, who was gonna put, and it was February, mid-February when we were contacted and in the good old days, everything premiered the first week of September. This is 1992 and this is gonna be hand-painted so, animation. So yeah, so we were, we were less than seven months from airtime and, so we were already a couple months behind getting ready for, for the show to get going. And it happens sometimes, especially in smaller shows. But this is a big, complicated show that needed to be created and uh, heavily produced because it was, you know, big action. And it was new. And so everything needed to be designed. And all of, you know, like 15 things that were going to make it take time and be difficult. And I think Margaret was just so thrilled she got it on the air that she just kind of hoped we could get through all those difficulties. And from the writing side, it was just, it was just exciting. It was a case of there's this whole world to work with of 25 years of X-Men stories from the books and these really deep involved characters and uh, kind of sky's the limit and executives saying, make challenging stories as opposed to, oh, just, you know, dumb it down for the kids. So it was a great opportunity. And on the writing side, we were just focused on that. Uh, say we could tell 13 really exciting stories. And so in our corner, it, we were rushed like crazy, but we also had the huge benefit of there was no time for second or third or fourth guessing or uh, actors or executives or directors saying, you know, I think we could do something a little different with that story. Not that that didn't happen. Yeah. It just happened really fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, they had, they had their half an hour, you know, to, to, to make their case. And then zoom, we're onto the next script. There just wasn't time to, uh, to ponder what might've been, or to worry about if we picked the 13 perfect stories out of the 50,000 we could have told. 
And so it was, it was an exciting, satisfying rush to get the thing done. At the same time, it hasn't been on the air yet. So lots of people, it's the tensest time because people are putting up their money, their millions of dollars to get the show done. And they're looking at these scripts and they're very different from what they're used to seeing on Saturday morning. And we're telling them that it's going to be successful, right. but there's no, I mean, we're just asserting that <laughs> we have no proof of that, which is our co- level of confidence or ignorance or, you know, just, right. just hope, hope and adrenaline that it's going to work. And they're the ones, you know, about, you know, fall on their faces and lose all their money if the things flop. So right. Right. until it came out and it was proved by the fan reaction that, oh yeah, this did work. This is what they're looking for. There's great worry on the part of the people kind of holding this thing together. And another thing was we didn't have a huge company like Disney. We worked at Disney for a few years, Mm -hmm. like Disney or Warner's that just said, okay, here's 20 artists and here's 15 writers. And here's our, here's our step. Just make the show. Margaret had had to patch together. Graz Entertainment was doing all the pre-production with the artists a that, small boutique a, a little, operation. A tiny company. This is their second show they'd ever done. And uh, Saban put some money in and he, you know, he was used to doing lower level stuff and animating in Korea. So somebody, Margaret and uh, Stephanie Graziano at Graz, were holding this circus of six or seven different little groups of people together. We never had an office. We just wrote all this stuff from home. <laughs> And it was the same with some of the artists. They just, they drew as fast as they could at home and, and sent it in by, uh, in, in our case, by floppy disk because it was before <laughs> the internet um, for, for the story. So it was, it was a scramble and it was exciting, but uh, at no time did we feel the uh, least bit, you know, comfortable or not under the wire. And I want to jump in here. It's been 30 years, but you were tasked with introducing the X-Men to the world. Yes, there were 30 years of comic books up until that point, but the comic book market, as vibrant as it was, was not a big slice of, say, the overall pop culture market, at least at that time. Exactly. And if you have stopped people on the street, name me some superheroes. You would get Batman, Superman. You might get Spider-Man, maybe the Hulk, maybe Wonder Woman. Name me three X-Men. Your average person wouldn't be able to do that. Wouldn't know right. what a mutant was. So there was, that was another thing in telling the, trying to tell 13 exciting stories that, that respected the comics. We also had to try to make sure that we were being really clear to this audience, 85% of whom didn't know this world at all. Mm-hmm. So we were having to build that world and re- you know, gently repeat what these people were and who, who they met, what they meant to each other and what their place was in, in the world to make sure that people didn't get lost in, in this, this new, this new thing. And yeah. so that was, that was always a, in the back of our minds that we, we couldn't forget that these characters were new to people by season three, we were felt looser and freer and we could take wilder chances. But the yeah. first season we, we were very careful. We thought and this was laying, an- laying the pipe. As you were saying, Julia, this was in an age where the 80s, 90s, the comics were very successful in its own way. But when it came to movies or shows, it was uh, far from successful, I should say, whatever was out. And I think that posed a major challenge. Um, was this something that you guys were, you know, dissuade from executing in order to, to do this at first? You were thinking maybe it's not even going to succeed the way we think. Uh, what, what was your thinking here? I think... Again, going back to 30 years, as an anime, as a writer, you're you're just you just want the next job. And when you got the job, you're just so excited, whatever the job is. And this had the possibility. Well, it was a 13 episode order, and I got to write Days of Future Past Part One. I was one of the team of writers that worked on the first season. All of us were told it's only going to run 13 episodes, but give it your best shot. You know, um, Margaret Lesh should put her job on the line, saying, "I'm making this show." The folks above her said, if this doesn't work out, are you putting, you know, are you willing to step aside? And she's, yes, I am. She believed in the show that much, but it hadn't been crafted yet. It hadn't been written, got to be a part of that, but always with an eye toward this job is now what's the next job. 
Yeah, and and we're just it's 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 odd. We're we're we bounced around from so many shows, which is kind <laughs> of the way uh, uh, the world works out here for animation writers. There aren't a lot of writing staffs. In in the case of almost every show we've ever done, somebody ends up being uh, the showrunner and, and picks and and it's piecework. If you get a script or you don't get a script, mm -hmm. and so we're constantly trying out new series and trying to write new new characters and new stories and you do the best you can and you hope for the best but you never know what you know it animation takes so long you finish a script and it's maybe six seven months later when it premieres and you don't know if the voices are going to be exciting or add something to the story you don't know if the animation is going to be wonderful or if they cut corners on that or that was assigned to the C team that that mm. week because there were various levels of animators in, in each uh, studio. Um, so you kind of uh, were writing with the idea that this is the best I can imagine this. If I'm lucky, um, it'll look okay. If I'm unlucky, it's not going to be what I imagined at all. And if I'm really lucky, some play, like uh, some shows we've been involved with, it just look what those people did with my script. And so you don't know that while you're writing. We're completely done writing July 22nd. And the, and it didn't properly premiere to January. That's how long you have to wait to see if the 13 or 20 scripts that you do for a season are going to hold together and make sense yeah. with each other. So, so there's just, there's a weird patience and a, an enforced you have to be confident uh, or you go crazy, you know, right. waiting, waiting and wondering and being that, anxious. And that's the it. thing, your, your confidence level. I mean, you're, so you go through all this. We, we go through the process of getting this done. And there was, I remember the story being that uh, some studios didn't want it. And so then finally it comes to fruition. You guys make it happen. And then your first intro is a first episode, Night of the Sentinels, you have Morph die. <laughs> so you have now that. You 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 killed off an X-Man uh, for a kid's show. I mean, then you have that against you. Or, or did it work in your favor? What? Tell me what happened here after that. I, I, I think we can safely say, I mean, that was a, that was a struggle dealing with the executives because that was pushing the challenging storytelling pretty far for a kid's show. But and but you did say for a kid's show, this was a Saturday morning animated show. That's yeah. what this was for Fox Kids, which was the new kid in town. Uh, you had ABC, NBC, CBS, but Fox was just trying to crack the network market. Fox had about 5% of the market, you know, a year mm -hmm. before we did this because they were just starting out. And the other, the three networks had 95%. And by the time X-Men was, I think, eight weeks in, Fox was leading, you know, had 40 some percent of the market. They, it was great, it was this great acceleration. But- They were but, willing to take chances. Margaret yeah. Lesh was willing to take yeah. chances. And and to answer your question specifically about the, the Morph uh, heroic sacrifice for the team, uh, that has stuck with, I'd say 80% of the fans we talked to at, at, at cons that come up and say, oh, it's great. And, and I knew in episode two when, when morph was killed that the show was going to be different and that just they all make that, that that reference point like that's when i knew i was hooked and that that i just couldn't wait to see what happened in episode three but that was you and mark edens your head writer making the decision you said heroic sacrifice yeah that came from you no know, it just, just came from just heroic storytelling and which, which is what we thought these guys were they were 20 somethings that had a, a serious challenge and we didn't want to downplay it. And we didn't want the violence to be, you know, kind of patty cake, nobody gets hurt. Uh, right. Aren't we having fun and winking at the camera like the A-team afterwards and having a <laughs> cigar? You want there, these people to be vulnerable and struggle and conflicted. And having someone die seemed to be crucial to that. And that's why that's why Morph was written in and started in the first place. So he might already he's, expendable. He's a, the guy, the guy with the red, the guy with the red shirt. There was one. our Star Trek reference. Sorry, Emily. What? No, I was just going to say there was something that I had read that um, it was a almost abysmal first take of voiceovers for from the actors because it didn't match with the with the view that you guys had. 
in trying to make it more grungy, more authentic. Yeah, and, and it's true. It was it was really scary. Uh, if we, the the people, they did a good professional job up in Canada. Up in Ca- Canada, but way we away. we weren't there to react to their first recording. They just did mail, it to mail, here, have a listen. Back to you. Had yeah, to- <laughs> and so uh, and, unfor- and unfortunately, we tried to. You know, the English language only goes so far. Mm-hmm. We tried to say we don't want this cartoon to sound like part to sound cartoony. We want this to sound like a, an hour drama. We want this to sound like an adult drama. Look at the, what's going on. Someone's getting killed. Right. Uh, the, the groups of people are being oppressed in the show. We want you to do this as serious as possible. Yeah. And I think they all kind of looked at it and said, well, we've been doing this 20 years. We know what voiceovers sound like. Mm-hmm. We've got it. Don't worry. We'll add a little edge to it. And so it came back, you know, 90% cartoony, a little edge to it. Yeah. And so it's just, it was awful. It's just, we, it, it, no, the fans would have hated it. And, but the gift to us was two things. First of all, Margaret Lash says, this isn't right. We're going to take a couple weeks more. We're going to postpone for a couple, three weeks and go up to Canada and get this, get this set right. And so in reacting to something that was very, very wrong, uh, we probably overcompensated and made it, and pick the most intensely dramatic voices in all of Toronto. You know, if if the first voices had been okay, mm-hmm. the, everybody would have probably looked at us and said, "Look, we don't have the budget. We're gonna we're gonna miss our schedule. Yeah, we don't have the time. You know, I know this isn't quite what you imagined, but you know, you're gonna have to live with it. It's just be a professional. Yeah. And we would have probably done that and gone on, and it would have been sounded kind of okay, and it would have been half the show. It was, I think the initial stumble with the, the misunderstanding with the voices about how dramatic we wanted the sound made us push triple hard and made it as dramatic as it was. And looking backward, it was a gift. Yeah. I mean, you, you had, <laughs> so you didn't stop there with Morph. After that, I mean, you had shows uh, or episodes, I should say, dealing with, you know, social issues, broken marriages. You had the Holocaust, you know, you were talking about all these different things to name a few, but it was beyond any other animated show for its time. It really wasn't. I, I can't think of any other ones that were like this. I remember the one with the time traveling back, and I believe it was Storm and Wolverine yeah. and their yeah. couple, and they're experiencing the racial profiling yeah. kind of, of for yeah. being together as a couple, and it's yeah, you know, it brushes on that just very briefly, but it's it's a. Very, very big moment also. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Skin color prejudice. That's so pathetic. It's almost quaint. That's yeah. right. I remember that. Response. Yeah. It ain't quaint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, to be able to do that and couch it that way. Yeah. And make it accessible. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and, it, and that's such a, and, and, and digestible fact, that was such a great indirect audience. way of disarming and making fun of racists in that Storm is looking at it like, you know, this this is this is a horse and buggy, or this is this is uh, you know this is pre-inventing the wheel. What you know, these people still think this way, right? It, because with, she with, was from the future. Yeah, she's not wagging your finger at the yeah, guy and saying, "Oh, you, you, laser, you bigot." You know, like yeah. So bigger yeah. fish. So that was no, that was that was fun. One man's worth, great, wonderful. One man's episode. worth, right? Yeah, that was one of my favorites. I was a heartbreaking episode for me because, I mean, you know, that it ends with the dream kind of sequence feeling and, you know, they kind of come to and they're like, well, I don't know what was just going on. But, you know, you still kind of get that. That in, I, I just kept thinking, like, I really want them to get together. I mean, like, yes. everybody couple up, everybody couple up. <laughs> and they were the perfect couple. Suddenly, suddenly it clicks in that fourth season in those two episodes. It's like, of course they should be together. Why aren't they together? They're so, <gasps> they're so yin and yang as well. You know, Storm yeah, yeah. is very, like, maternal, motherly almost. And, um, you know, uh, Logan is is rough around the edges but has yeah. a heart of gold, you know. And uh, I just, yeah. Is there That's is a- there any chance of that happening? In <laughs> we say nothing <laughs> about <laughs> X-Men 97. You give me you nothing. Say nothing. You say nothing tells me something. Yeah. Uh, no, no. <laughs> No, no. Eric, I'm kidding. What, I'm kidding. Eric, what do you have to say? Well, what, what, what do I have not to say? Yeah, really. Dad, what do you think? Yeah. Mom says no. <laughs> yeah, but I think in one of the one of the features 
if you look at, I forget which movie it is, but in one of the features, there's an alternative like cut scenes mm-hmm. uh, in uh, one of the featured DVDs, Blu-rays, whatever. And I can't remember. It's the third, fourth, fifth. What <laughs> one of them uh, could it be Days of Future Past? Anyway, there's a scene where they take that, and it's it's Hugh it's Jackman and Hugh Jackman and Halle Berry having a kiss. And, you know, would you give up my love? You know, they 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 film that scene, but it didn't fit in the story, <laughs> <laughs> so they had to cut it. Wow. That episode kills me. That's the one time Wolverine wears a wedding band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anybody. Anybody, yeah. right. Well, and, and Storm as well. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, it definitely pulled on the heartstrings. Um, there, there's so much that uh, X-Men for its time has been just ahead of its time in a lot of ways when with its narrative and the way the storytelling was, um, which now takes me to the next part, which now we are set up. Uh, 30 years later uh, for X-Men 97, uh, we were all there at San Diego Comic-Con this year. And, you know, the buzz buzz around your panel was just insanity. So let's talk about it. Let's just get into it. X-Men 97, let's go. This is what everybody wants to hear. (laughs) Well, we had the pleasure at San Diego Comic-Con of uh, being there when Marvel had its first Marvel animation panel in in Ballroom 20. uh, That's the first time they've done an event for their animation versus their, their big, just Marvel panels on Saturday. Got to be there for that. And we're Bo DeMaio is the head guy on the new, on X-Men 97. And the, the stories are in good hands. Let me say that these, the, the people working on X-Men 97 are the people who grew up watching X-Men. Yeah. But a bunch of uh, intense overworking 30 somethings <laughs> like we were 30 years ago. The, so it was. <laughs> uh, it, it, the, so there were a cu- couple of panels. One was the yes. huge Marvel panel, which was that forty five hundred seat ballroom, and they had they were mentioning there were five uh, series they were talking about, and one of them is a a young Spider Man one, mm-hmm. and there's a Groot, a Groot, mm-hmm. a couple others. But they saved the last, you know, and all uh, the the. The, the finisher was, okay, we're, and we got X-Men 97, everybody's going crazy, and they showed an animatic, mm-hmm. they showed some of it in movement, and so some designs, and people really enjoyed it. And Bo was really just incredibly generous and nice about it. He says, yeah. before we start talking about this new show, the three people in the, here in the audience, without whom none of this would have been possible, and you know, Larry Houston and Eric and Julia, and so yeah. we were able to stand and wave to the fan, which was oh, awesome. absolutely, you know, he hadn't warned us. No. You know, and, and, but the second one, you're talking about the panel that, that we did with uh, when both stepped up with the other surprise. Oh, with Dan Wiesenmeyer and yeah. Lenore Zan, the voice of Rogue, who was yeah. the first time ever at San Diego for her. Yeah, so oh, awesome. Tricky Bo in his showmanship. <clears throat> uh, we did our panel just about the, the, the old show, the original mm-hmm. show. And then the, the, uh, the showrunner of the new show waits in line with the other fans. And at the very end says, uh, Larry, I had a question for you and asks, you know, Larry Houston sitting beside us. Um, I just was authorized to ask it this morning. Uh, would you care to direct the opening title sequence for X-Men 97? And it was like, it was a moment of like from the bachelor, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have a rose. You know, will rose. you accept this rose? The final rose. Yes. Yeah. And, oh and Larry was like blown away and said, of course I will. And so that gives you an idea how much their minds are in our show and how much they want our show to, con- to be a, their show to be a continuation of our show and not something different and contrasting or right. a spinoff or something. And so the, 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 the greater importance is that Larry Houston with Wilminio is responsible for the iconic opening title sequence of the original yeah. X-Men animated series. Yeah, the two those two guys did that in like three days. There was, was no just, time, but yeah. they did it. And <laughs> it they did just, it. Yeah, it was just a matter of just days before that happened. Oh. Uh, finished. Yeah. So that and in that, amazing. if you go back and watch it with a critical eye, they introduce every mute, every character. They introduce every character by name with the logos flashing over them, which at the time, the fonts, Marvel didn't have the fonts <laughs> figured out. So Larry was just putting different fonts up for different <laughs> characters and those yeah. have become iconic over time. They did. Showing them in conflict, showing who some of the big bad guys were going to be, and you know, showing the, hu- the, the human fear of these things that have crazy powers. And it, you know, it, in less than two minutes, uh, it's, it's, a, it's remarkable. The, it um, really is, yeah. Yeah. So I have one 
comment based on the previous series and uh -huh. I, that I, okay, your, your thoughts on season five, there was at some point, I know it's a season five. There was, I think at like episode four or five, there was a very clear animation sort of change in like the look of everything. There was a voice, um, uh, an actor, uh, the actor who plays Gambit, he was Swamp, uh -huh. and right. it it all of a sudden changed almost the entire vibe of it. Um, you know, I'm not going to assume that the, any which way is is the correct way, but what kind of vibe are you going for in '97? Is it going to be following more of like the first four seasons, or is it going after oh, this more? There was no, there was no creative, <clears throat> there were no creative thinking in that in the last 11 episodes that was just that was just poorer cheaper execution she, the budget was slashed we, we, the first 65 episodes so it means 11 out of the 76 were were added on we were all supposed to be done we were all told it's over at 65 all the various that's one reason that gambit's not there all the people and larry houston wasn't there for the last 11 um I did not know that. Uh, all sorts of people were connected to the, and that was the, the standard to syndicate a show back then. That way you could play them five days a week for 13 weeks, mm -hmm. four times a year. And that was the gold standard. You you'd commit to do 65 episodes. When we were at Disney, almost every show we did, they just committed to 65 right off the top. And that was kind of a given. So all that was set. We were all set, and we had written at the, the big four part time travel episode beyond good and evil as the ending of the series that was going to be the end you had written it to wrap it up we still have that outline where yeah, it wraps up the where, show where we introduced a bunch of new characters including psylocke and and I mean, the people that were going to become new x-men mm -hmm. and the end of the story was five of the current x-men were leaving and psylocke and archangel and bishop and, and shard. shard were gonna come in and become x-men and that was the big tumultuous okay i wonder what the next series is going to be like so that was done and then you get a phone call somebody i think margaret lesh was also no no longer in charge at fox yeah and whoever was in charge there said well, we're <clears throat> going to do another six and another five they did it in two chunks um and we're going to get a cheaper animation house and we're going to simplify the design so that it's easier to animate and we're cutting the budgets by a third and da 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 da, -da. And so some voices we couldn't get back. I said, we couldn't get Larry back yeah. uh, for uh, as far as direction goes. He was already committed to another show. Um, so that was not that was not thoughtful intention. That was just money saving. That I was just a, that was an after that was an afterthought. And we all I mean, I don't think we ever thought, well, I'm walking away from this because it's not going to we didn't know how much they were going to cut back on production. We didn't know. And from the writer's standpoint, uh, the script, you know, we were still, the, the script process was still basically the same. It wasn't like they were cutting that budget in half or they're cutting the schedule in half. So from in writing it, we didn't feel constrained, but then we saw after <clears throat> we saw that come back to, Oh my God, that isn't what we wrote. You know, we wrote right. something bigger or we, we didn't just, you know, that isn't what Wolverine's supposed to look like. Yeah. It, just, right. it was, it was, on, uh, but it happens all the time in our business. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money involved and we don't have any control over once we've written the story, what the people do with it. But yeah. in defense of some of those episodes, I still stand by the story of those episodes. Um, there were three or four that we still really like. The one with Captain America called Old Soldiers that uh, written yeah. by Lan Wein, who's co-creator yeah. of Wolverine and right. came and wrote, wrote a few, what, three or four for the show. Yeah. And yeah. you got him to come back and write that. And he said he would, if he could use Captain America. And that was a big deal. Because we never had any permission to use anybody. <laughs> they wouldn't yeah. give it to us. Huge. But like, he's yeah. Lan Wein. He got it. Yeah. He, he got the permission. And, so. we, lo and we liked the way uh, it ended with, mm. with graduation day. We yes. thought that that, that story I... came together real tight. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go Emily. A lot, lot, lot of tears on that one. And yeah. there's the one, the one with the phalanx with uh, Beast, the two-parter, mm -hmm. where he's with a guy that sacrifices himself. That, that was, yeah. that one I thought the story was, was nice and tight, but it's, it's just, yeah, but it's, it's, 
the animation's distracting. They read like redid the opening's music a little. Yeah. I think that was a financial thing to I'm where sure if they redid it, they have all the rights to whatever they redid and they didn't have to the old one because there's obviously no reason to change the old music. Right. Um, and I think they left out previously on for half oh, yeah. for some of those. There were half, a bunch of decisions they made in the last season, all of which I think were financial that you know we wish had never happened but again so it's safe to say season four and before like the first four seasons that's yeah. not really what you guys are yeah. proud of that's like your that's that's what it looked like and that's, what you envisioned from the beginning yeah. and you know to, to, it just goes to show you uh if different if margaret hadn't been there we would have been lucky to get it to look like the season five for the whole for the yeah. whole series yes if somebody else had been in charge they really say we're not going to spend this kind of time and money right. on this stuff yeah and it just would have ended up looking as weak or weaker than the last bit for the whole series so again salute to margaret yes for yes. standing by this and making it helping us make it as good as it was yep so if we are kind of summarizing a bit of what I know so far from you guys and what we've heard, uh, new new network, new era of TV, uh, mostly free reigns maybe in terms of this is our chance to show the fans what we really want versus what we were allowed to. Is this the case for X-Men 97? Is this more free reign, more, um, you know, in terms of even censorship now? It is, it is, it is. Uh... It's well, a, it's not, we don't want a kids show. It's on. Uh, we, okay, we don't want to speak to any of that because we really don't know um, from the inside. We are a lot. We we get to see uh, various stages of of production, and we're very excited by what we see. But this isn't. You had to answer to uh, broadcast standards and practices on Fox Kids, and it was a wonderful woman named Avery Coburn, who. Uh, that was part and parcel of how kids animation was done back then. If you were going to broadcast on a network TV, you had to have a broadcast standards and practices person. And her word was law. But you were able to talk with her and she knew the books about why you felt the need for more this heroic sacrifice in the opening two-parter and other major story points throughout the entire series run. Yeah. And Avery understood. And if she had said no at any point, those stories would never have been told. We've we've had broadcast standards people overseeing shows where they would have come into the X-Men and said, well, where, where are these, these are supposed to be friends working together. Why are they so angry with each other? Uh, Why do they have to fight? Yeah. Don't, don't let, don't make them angry. You know, just, or, or they can't raise their voices to each other or they can't, you know, what, whatever. They, they can't see, say these mean things about each other. Can you imagine the X-Men, the eight of them, without them struggling among themselves to figure out what the challenges were? And, oh, yeah. you, can't, you, can't, you can't put all these innocent people in the city in danger. You just have to, if you, if you insist on having them fight against some big bad alien, well, do it out in a field somewhere where no mm -hmm. one's going to get hurt. And sh make sure that no one hits anybody. Yeah. And it is, it, I, the list would go on. <laughs> And that's what Avery was working within, you know, from previous shows. And uh, like, you know, what is it? He-Man or some of the shows before where pe people had swords. Well, they couldn't be sharp swords. Nobody ever cut anybody. Right. It, it just, it really. they, they, they banged a little and then they quit. And it just, she let us get past that stage. And that's, it wasn't easy for her because, you know, uh, groups that were anxious about, uh, about violent behavior or distressing behavior in kids' shows uh, were very powerful and could could cost their congressional hearings yeah. and they could cost TV uh, stations their licenses. Mm -hmm. um, the what the the of all the things X Men didn't get many letters, Beetlejuice did, of all things because it was if you think about it, it's it's a, a demon from the neither world coming up and causing mischief. Or just causing mischief where he lives, so it got it got a scary amount of evidently a scary amount of letters. Fox had to defend Beetlejuice's yeah. demonic yeah. nature <laughs> a lot, but uh, you know that was that was the Margaret and Avery's decision. If they were, we could not have done any of the stories we did without their their help. So 
let's go with setting of, of the show. Uh, X-Men 97, is this something to what we've seen like in Stranger Things where it's modern made but takes place in the 80s? Uh, is this are you giving an authentic 97 feel to it or is it just not really, you know, let's not read too much into 1997 here? No, it is 1997. It is 1997. Uh, they they are picking up where, we where, left, where X-Men left yeah, off. Yeah, in fact, uh, one way of thinking about it is, you know, where did we leave all these characters in uh, uh, in uh, graduation day? Mm-hmm. Right. Where was everybody? And 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 they are now say it's weeks, months after that. You're coming back to the same group of people having been through the 76 episodes that you've been through yes, and references, references to them. So that's just one thing that they're very clear about and that we're able to talk about is that they want it to emphasize it's a continuation. It's episode 77 of okay. our show is where it starts. It's not some, so it's, it's not some yeah changed world. So it's going to be picking up more or less with Xavier out of the photo or out of the picture and Magneto more or less in, in leadership. We, we, that's, I believe what they said. That's, they did say that information. They, she was, San Diego. Yeah, we would try to be careful. I know, what can we Bo say? said a couple of things. But, like, okay, we can say that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Exact, that's exactly Verbatim, repeat, repeat, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly what they said. That's, well, that's cool. We're bringing back 90s fashion. We're bringing back yes. 90s slogans and uh, whatnot. And uh, please bring back arcades and, uh, yeah, Walkmans. <laughs> chili fries. Chili Come fries. on. Oh, chili man. fries. That reminds me of <laughs> Um, so in making 97, does the modern world of 2022 play some sort of part in what we know now directly impacting civil rights or diversity? Uh, tell me a little bit what you're planning to do if you can. Well, let me tell you, you know, it's been 30 years since the original X-Men, which prior to that time, there were 30 years of books. There are now 60 years of X-Men books, which is a figure that blows my mind. But I, I will occasionally tease. Okay, and and Damien, you brought it up that X-Men, the animated series, dealt with big deal issues, if I can call them that. You know, yeah. dealt with um, racism, bigotry, uh, all these things. It's like, did you people learn nothing? Here we are 30 years later. Good freaking God, what is well, going on in the world? I, I, I hear you say that often. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not oh, anything. Goodness. <laughs> You know, so yeah. I don't, it's not something that, that we are putting on X-Men. I think that's just organically yeah. what the X-Men are. And, and tragically, where are we as a country and a planet? That, well, that's on us. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> that's on yeah. us, not X-Men. I don't think there's going to, uh, again, just to, to get our roles clear on this, uh, they've been working on this show for a year and a half. And it's going to, it's another year till it premieres. So they're putting two and a half years of, you know, a staff of a hundred. He's a little jealous. Yeah. 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 We had seven months. What's going on? You know, right. and, it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so they obviously are very focused about, about what they're doing and what, and our, our position on this as consulting producers is very mm-hmm. nice of them to hire us on the two of us and Larry as, as Bo explicitly put it, we are, they want us to be their first audience. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not there in the writing room with them. We're not uh, cracking stories and, 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 and thinking up, you know, new exciting stuff for the X-Men to do. We will, you know, we're looking at scripts and animatics and saying, mm-hmm. you know, that really feels like an X-Men show, but, you know, here in the middle, you know, how about if we add some this, or I'm not, you know, you really want to take beast there, you know, you know just questions that uh, after they've done the story, after they've laid it out, after they said, is this an, ex- isn't this an exciting series of events? They want our opinion. Mm-hmm. And so consult. So we're, we're, we're advisors. And, and they listen. They've and, been very gracious. And they're very nice about it. And if they disagree, they disagree. And we're, you know, but the, the point is, even though, uh, even though we feel honored about being part of it, we want to make sure everybody understands it's their show. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely positively, and they've put so many thousands of hours into it, uh, and 
you know, we, we care about it and we think it's going in a good direction. Uh, and we feel confident that uh, the fans will love it, but we don't want to take credit for its direction. Right. Uh, we just want, you know, we just want to take credit for being along on the ride. Right. So if you can tell me this much, do you know if the show now for X-Men 97 will be borrowing stories from the comics the way 92 did, but now maybe post 97 comics, like what was out during that time? Again, they've got <laughs> they got they got so much more to work with. Oh, my, my feeling is is that they know their writing staff knows the, the 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 comics, the sixty years of comics, better than our writing staff knew the twenty five to thirty years of because there was five years repeats in back in our day. Mm-hmm. Better than than we knew. There were two or three people that wrote for our show that really knew the books, but most of them didn't, and so myself included. So we were taking bits and pieces that we thought would make our stories resonate more and connect to the books. Whereas I think this staff is going to be more X-Men literate and more steeped in X-Men lore. And there's going to be stuff that, that if, if you know the books, there are going to be even more story references to the books as a percentage than what that we did. I think I could say it safely that, that, they, that they really know the source material. Yeah. And it's an honor to hear you say, Damien, you know, that X-Men, the animated series, how it was sort of uh, faithful and, and drew from the books. Obviously it's the X-Men, but there aren't that many direct uh, adaptations. If you go back and look at each episode, there, uh, a lot of them, every, everything pulls from, from, the, from the books. But as far as straight up adaptations, again, season one, I'm writing Days of Future Past, um, well, we don't have Kitty Pride. Oh, okay. Um, you're going to send Bishop back. Who's Bishop? Well, we just created, he's, he's new, um, but here's who Bishop is, and he's going to actually go back. But Kitty Pride, she sends her brain. No, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> but people speak kindly of Days of Future Past in spite of those kinds of dramatic changes that yeah. the series was obligated to make to be X-Men, the animated series. And I, and I expect that, one that you wrote, right, Julia? That's my right. favorite. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite episode, both of those, hands down. I've told you this before, and I'll say it again. Days of Future Past, part one and two, hands down, my favorite, favorite episodes. Everything in terms of story writing, the putting Bishop in there, I mean, you couldn't have crafted better. I mean, that, that's what I love about it. It was really well done. Boy, I'm going to float on that for a few days. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Also, though, a shout-out to Bob Skier and Marty Eisenberg, who wrote part two. Um, and, and, again, we were all on our separate homes. <laughs> Heads down, doing our yeah, stuff, dropping off floppy disks, you right. know, hoping that it and, and, and got to you know, <laughs> make sure everything fits together. Yeah, yeah no. absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's just finally, before we wrap up, I definitely want to talk uh, cast. So who is sure. returning? Who is not? I definitely want to pay tribute to dear Norm Spencer, who's not going to be joining because oh. of his passing. I, I mean, growing up to me, um, Norm Spencer's Cyclops to me was the epitome of what was. You know, uh, a superhero that was to me the 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 staple, the 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 everything you wanted in that leadership and that that tone, the voice, everything was great. And uh, he will definitely be missed. But who else will be part of this, and who will not also be part of this? I think we can safely talk about yeah some of the voices, the cast that we know, the yeah. cast that we know, and delighted that uh, Lenore Zan will be back as Rogue. And boy, she is a hoot. Um, and also recently has spent several years serving in the Canadian government. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? As, <laughs> you know, as, as, as a member of parliament as from Nova member. Scotia, so she's like a senator. And, and yeah. she's recently uh, left politics and is now able to do this now. Uh, but you had the fun story in, in the so political she's scene. She's a, she can literally fly now in real life. <laughs> in real life. You know, she's she's petite, she's blonde, you know, but she's in the political. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah. She'd bump into these 40 something senators or, you know, members of parliament where they're trying to pass, pass a bill in the, in the Canadian uh, uh, parliament. And they, uh, and they'd be arguing politics. And then she mentioned, you know, by the way, I was rogue on X-Men, the animated series. And And these guys are like, wait a minute. (laughs) I was 12 when that came on. And and these, these, these rough antagonistic, Canadian politicians would get weak in the knees because they were having to argue with Rogue. The yeah. distinct voice. I mean, Emily, you you had a really great reaction to it. I mean, 
she has an amazing voice in general. I, I've heard her even in interviews, but I mean, the the rogue voice is just something very, about it. It's very unique. It's like a baby in, from the South after they smoked a half a pack of cigarettes. And, <laughs> and I, 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 I think, nice. I, love, I, I like that. love that raspiness, though. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It kind mm-hmm. of um, the woman who voices Tommy Pickles, I remember she is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well. yeah. I just I think it's so it's super unique and yeah it's I mean very if endearing. If she yeah. if she came into any amount of uh, parliament or something and just went sugar and then it would be like all over for everyone you know. <laughs> yeah. so. Unanimous vote. Yes. <laughs> Whatever you want. Whatever. <laughs> I, I I agree. <laughs> so she's coming back and and George Buza is coming back as Beast, our wonderful Beast, right. who is, is my favorite. That just he's the damaged poet who needs love, you know, and, and, and who's a massive guy in real life. You know, you imagine him on a motorcycle, <laughs> but the nicest guy yeah. as Beast would be. And, but, yeah. and uh, and Cal Dodd's coming back as Wolverine. I mean, awesome. my god, so there's 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 That's, three three central characters. We understand that others from the original voice may not be voice cast. Um, may not be coming back in their roles. We're not sure yet who all those might be, but we understand they're they're bringing back as much of the original yeah, cast as five, they can to play yeah. even different parts, which five, I think is wonderful. Five, six, seven more uh, from the original cast in new places, you know, that they want to use them where they may have someone else uh, uh, as the lead character that they used to be. But We're all 30 years older. You know, no. things change. <laughs> And it's supposed heard, to be X Men ninety seven, so <laughs> just heard Emily uh, just just blurt out Chris Potter is Chris, Chris Potter's coming back, right? I are we, are think we, so. are we certain that? I'm. I, I, I don't want to say certain, but I want to say maybe certain. Can I say maybe certain, Chris I, Potter? I, yes, I, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Okay. Great. Maybe certain. Yes. Okay. There you go, Emily. I, I mean, when when they did that voice change in season five, I was like, oh, the essence, it's gone. <laughs> it's so, gone feel it anymore you know he, different voice actor he was talented in his own way but i think we were so used to chris potter yeah, that it was just, like just that, it was a slap sweet, in the face a bit and we're like whoa it was a sucker punch yeah you know? well and let me let me suggest that look i'm not going to argue with hugh jackman i'm not going to argue with halle berry i'm sure not going to argue with um patrick stewart but when i see an x-men image the voices i hear in my head whether i'm reading a book or you know whatever it is it's it's the voices from the animated series those are my x-men voices in my head absolutely same for and me. i think for a lot of people eric you had the story of bob harris oh yeah yeah it's just the guy the, the the gentleman that was a real help to us for marvel he was at the in front. new york in 92 he was there were four x-men titles that he was editing he was running so he's 80 hour a week job and he was our contact. He was our creative contact. When we had a question, is Wolverine really like this? Or would Storm have a scene like this? And, and he, he saw every out, every premise, every outline, every script and would, would comment and said, no, I, I just don't think this is an X-Men story or I think it's a great X-Men story. So he had his mind in our, our series from the, from the get-go uh, as much as he could, given the fact he had a huge job on his side. <laughs> yeah. But he was, he was talking about he had a really surreal experience going up after the bad recordings. Uh, he and Joe Calamari, who's a great last name, uh, from Marvel, went up along with two, a couple of people from us, from our side, uh, Larry Houston and, and Sidney Iwanter, to sit on, in on a couple of weeks of recasting to make sure that, because that we all, we agreed with Marvel what we thought the show should be. And they got it and we got it. And obviously the voice talent missed it the first shot. So, okay, each of us, Fox and Marvel are each sending two people up there to be in it on, on the recasting. And Bob was there and he said, he was listening to these people. He had grown up reading X-Men comics and he'd memorized everyone from 1963 onwards, but they'd all been internal voices. He'd never heard someone speak it. Like mm-hmm. you'd say you'd memorized Sherlock Holmes and you'd never seen the Sherlock Holmes movie. Suddenly there's an actor there being Wolverine, you know, right. or being rogue. And he said, it just, it, it gave him goosebumps. It's just, that's, I, I've lived with that character for 30 years and now I'm hearing him or her speak for the first time in my life. And he said it was- it As just, that voice, as the right voice. As the right, yeah. And he said there were there were lots of times when everybody in the booth it was unanimous, like they listened to half a dozen, you know, people are trying to be rogue or trying to be some, and then suddenly Lenore would 
speak for five seconds. And every, as, as some of the actors said, they'd look over in the booth and everybody would be jumping up and down out of their chairs. Because that's it. That's the voice we were, we've been hearing in our heads as we read all the scripts. When so, you know it, you know it. so there was, there was great unanimity in, uh, in the choice of the final cast. And it was, after, it was a case of, there were, there were even people like the guy that was Cable, Lawrence Bain, who was excellent as Cable. He was runner up for Wolverine. You can mm -hmm. hear, you can imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. He would have been a great Wolverine. So it wasn't in, in, before we, nobody was sounded right. And then when we got the audio cassette set down of the new casting, there were two or three, four people that could have done a solid job in all of the roles. It was that much of a, a sea change. Like the, the, the people directing it got it mm -hmm. and got what we, what we needed. Absolutely. Wow. We are so excited. Um, Eric, Julia, I, we're excited for this next chapter. Absolutely. As fans, now that's on Disney Plus, I mean, there's just no reason to not be hyped the way we are right now, all of us as fans. Um, we definitely wish you the very best of luck with X-Men 97. Um, we, we heart you guys very much. We Digital hugs across the galaxy. You <laughs> yes, know. yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, the young kid in me, just have to always say, screaming, hell yeah, bring more, because I'm so excited. Eric, Julia, before we go, where can folks find you and your book? Please, we, um, I am spending way too much time on Twitter at X-Men TAS, which is what we call X-Men the Animated Series. So we got X-Men TAS, Facebook, uh, Instagram, trying to, and mostly Twitter. We have a website. We're working on getting that a little more uh, fine-tuned. We have the two books. We've got X-Men, the Art and Making of the Animated Series, and we have Eric's Oral History um, previously on X-Men. You can get them through amazon.com. Uh, we, we, we ask you to patronize your local bookstores if you can, ask them to order it that way. And we see them out in the wild in Barnes and Noble. So <laughs> they are available. Um, and we're working on a way, if folks want to order through us, we're working on it where we can sign it for you and ship because, it to you. Yeah, but, because we, we, can, we can get the books directly from the publishers and Get, and, and sign them and sign them here and, and ship them out and we're happy to do it yeah we're so working if you, on yeah that. if you look if you contact us that, yeah. that's a way to that's a way to get a personally signed copy cool. pick it up guys definitely worth it i've read both um cover to cover worth it um miss emily where can folks find you on social media <laughs> at emily underscore turner and emily is spelled e-m-i-l-i-e Wherever the prettiest faces. Uh, you can find me at Damien underscore DeCarlo, our website, makingageek.com. Until next time, everybody, keep calm and geek on. Good night, everybody. Bye, Damien. Bye.